Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Our month of reflection continues as we retouch on the journey of my friend Jorge Narvaez. Jorge is a YouTube personality, mental health advocate, and father of three. His journey is so important not only for men to hear, but women as well. I don't want to keep you from hearing this special episode, so here you go. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. I'm really excited because I have my friend Jorge Navarez with me because I have not, we've not seen each other in forever, but I reached out to him because he is a father. He's a content creator. I'll go into the bio in a minute. How are you doing this morning, Jorge? Well, it's been a while, like I, like you said, it's been a long time since I saw you. Uh, but so it's good, it's good to see you early morning here. Made some time, you know. I thought to the kids, I'm gonna be downstairs. Okay, they're like, Where are you going? I'm like, Just, just I'm gonna do something that I want to do. And so, okay, okay, okay. So they're they're watching a movie right now. <laughs> oh, nice. So before we get into the cheese man, we always start with the wine. And I know you're not drinking wine. You're drinking because it is ten o'clock in the morning here in San Diego. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> Hey, I let you choose the time, honey. So <laughs> it's okay. But, Next time for sure. Yes. But of course, I can't not drink wine. What, what kind of wine and cheese my hose would I be if I didn't drink wine? That's true. So I am drinking a 2018 Sauvignon Blanc by Herencia del Valle. So they're one of the Latino wine brands. Actually, they were one of the first ones that I reached out to and who have been so supportive in this whole endeavor and introduced me to some other vintners in Napa when I went to Napa and have, you know, been so, so supportive. And they were part of the very, very first virtual wine tastings and everything. So, salud. Salud. You can salud with your agua. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) That's really good though that you're, you're, Especially being supported by something that you actually like as well, right? Something you consume. Oh, yeah. And you know what? It's so crazy because I never, I mean, I was always like a wine lover, but I never really paid attention to the flavors, to the profiles, to how heavy or light or anything like that was until really I started the podcast. And then when I started the podcast, I was going out buying wine, which I still do. But then I started literally, I was like, there has to be Latino-owned wine brands, right? There has to be. Yeah. And so I started researching and I found MAVA, which is the Mexican-American Vintners Association. And that's how I found like Herencia de Valle and started reaching out to some of these other wineries. But the crazy thing is, is I, when I was looking for these wineries, I kept seeing like the same 20 wineries over and over. Right. And I wasn't seeing anything else. And it just didn't feel like that was enough. I was like, there's no, there has to be more. And so literally I started digging and digging and doing more research. Like, I don't even know how much time I spent kind of going through it. And then I knew eventually I wanted to create a directory because I couldn't find a directory. I was like, why is there not a directory? There's, I found directories of black owned wineries. I found directories of general Napa wineries. These, these wineries were never included. And then, yeah, like what it's been, I think almost a year now that I, launch the directory for it's the very first directory for Latino wine brands based based in the U.S. because then people start talking about 
Valle wines or South American wines. Right. Like, yeah. But I'm talking about the wines here. National. Like, yeah. The national yeah. ones. And then I came across this stat, which you might be shocked about. There's over 11,000 wineries in the United States. Less than 100 are owned by the Latinx community. That's a pretty, um, really bad ratio. Yeah. Well, and then think about it. Agricultural workers. 92% of agricultural workers are from our community. What, what does that say about access, right? Yeah. What does that say about... Yeah, I, I, I hear you. It, ma- it makes sense. It makes, it makes sense, especially historically what this country is, is, is still going through, you know, mm-hmm. um, but some, some, some industries are still catching up. And yeah. one of them is, is my opinion is definitely the wine industry, but it sounds like there's also a lot of, you know, somos pocos pero locos kind of attitude, you know? Yeah. And oh, absolutely. Did you grow up in the USC or did you come when you were younger? I came when I was younger and then I lived in LA for a bit and then I went back to Mexico and Guadalajara. Wine wasn't a thing for me when I was a kid. It was more my dad drinking beer all the time. Yeah, same with that. I mean, I grew up in San Diego. I grew up in North County and wine wasn't part of our thing. Right. Wine coolers, my mom would sometimes have wine coolers, but it was like beer, tequila, like hard liquor type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. More with family. It wasn't ever wine. So, so many, I think so many of us have that same experience, right? That you don't even think about it until you get older and somebody else exposes you to that. What's an acquired taste too? Like, Alcohol in general is an acquired taste, but then wine was one of those, like, it is a cultural thing, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you go hang out with your primos and you hang out at the barbecue, you don't bring a box of wine. You don't, you don't bring yourself a Cabernet. Well, you could, right? I do now. <laughs> but now you now you do, right? But before it's like, Tate las chelas, you know? It was, it was like, I think it, it was like a, no sé si el estilo or culture, you know? But, mm-hmm. and then I, I obviously got a little older. Um, I started working for a, a, for a French bakery in college and I was, I was actually serving wine. I was a bartender and I got, I got a little taste as well. Just like you kind of like got got familiar with some of the reds, some of the whites, right. you know, some of the, some of the cabs, the Napa Valley ones. Damn. If you're not somebody who likes very tannic wines, very bold reds, Cabernets, like Napa cabs are not for you because that's what they are, but it's so true. And I think so many people need to hear that, right? Because we, the more we hear it, the more we want to support smaller wineries, because I think I was reading a stat. Somebody had sent me a stat. It's either 17% or 27%, only 17 or 27% within that range of wineries actually have access for like national distribution, which means more almost three quarters if not more of wineries across the u.s are really they don't have access to large distribution which means when you're going to the store when you're going to the grocery store unless you're going to like a special specialty shop and even those don't have all of them you're really limited in what your choices are you definitely have to be able to search and and so i want to be able to provide that especially something within our community that can help Absolutely. And that's the key. The key, the key word you shared is, is, is access, right? How do we, how do we bring access to, to the local businesses, the small businesses, especially these, these wine businesses, right? Um, and, and normalize it, normalize access to, to these distributions. They're so big. I mean, it's expensive, right? And, but it's mm-hmm. all about who you know in these places. And it's, you know, I mean, wine is a particular a culture as well in itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm part of the wine culture now, so I'm. I think I'm bougie. You're a winer. You're a wino. Oh, uh, totally. A totally. <laughs> wine. Oh my gosh, for sure. I have no. I haven't scheduled the virtual wine tastings for this year yet, but I could easily during these virtual wine tastings, I could easily down a bottle on my own. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> That's so funny. I got to connect you with someone that locally too, that does, uh, he's, he's African-American. Uh, he started something similar, but he's working on it. It's called a wind down. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And I was on his show and we drank on the show. It was so funny, but Heck yeah, uh, uh, you know, and then after a couple drinks, you know, and that's the crazy thing, you know, sometimes people need a little bit of a, I mean, unfortunately, you know, sometimes some people need a little bit of a encouragement, you know? Yeah. And then a couple, one drink later, you're like, ah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that how so you funny. would be if you just had a little bit of wine? You're like, hey. I, oh, I get red. I get red. I get red. Me pongo todo rojo. I get like a cab, like a cabernet. <laughs> That's pretty red. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually met through our friend, our mutual friend, Pam. 
who, for, if you don't know, I've mentioned her on the podcast before, Pam Covorubias from Cafe Con Pam. And the last, I think, yeah, it was like right before the shutdown is the last time we saw each other to celebrate her new space, which she's no longer there anymore, but now she's traveling all over the place and doing all kinds oh, yeah. of things. Yeah, she's and, wonderful. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm so happy that I met Pam and I get to call her a friend and that she's in my life because she's really awesome. Yeah. She so has that's a good how mind. we met. And that was the last time we saw each other. <laughs> and that was like I said before the shutdown. But we've kept up on social media and you've been doing a lot of things. And I can't wait to kind of talk about not just everything that you've gone through through the shutdown, but what got you there. So you said you grew up in Guadalajara, but how like how old how old were you when you initially moved to the States. You said you were young, but how old is young? I was born in Guadalajara and then and then I was a year old, a year old when I came to the United States. At the time, it was very easy to go back and forth, you know, mm -hmm. was just cross back and forth, visa or, or without a visa. It was not easy for my mom, though. My mom was actually, she's the one that crossed through the desert so she could meet us on the other side. She went through some hell, went through hell already for that. But yeah, I was, I was one. I ended up moving to L.A., when you came here, was it just with your mom? Was it with Diaz? Was it your with your father as well? What type of, because obviously you talk a lot about fatherhood. You became a father very young. Oh, yeah. um, so what type of father or father figure did you have growing up? And how was, how was your relationship with him? If there was any. I was, I'm really open about this. I've, I've shared this before and I've talked about it. It's, it, it wasn't, a good relationship because my father was, um, he did a lot of abuse, you know, he was very abusive, um, alcoholic. He was into drugs heavily at the time. I didn't really have a good relationship. I didn't really have a good deep connection with him. I knew that I wanted, you know, he's my father, like any other child looks up to them, you know, I want to be tough like him. I want to be strong like him, but it wasn't a healthy relationship at the time. I can only imagine the type of things when you don't have, I mean, I kind of, understand to a certain extent, just because I didn't have my biological father as part of my life ever. I've met him once in my entire life. So I always say I have quote unquote, a sperm donor and I have a dad. Like I, my dad is my everything. He's just amazing. But obviously when you're young and when you don't have either a bad relationship or a relationship at all, that starts kind of putting these things in your head of what you want or what you don't want even if you don't realize it when you're a kid, right? Of, mm -hmm. of those things. Reflecting back on that now, do you remember those types of things that you're like, I'm not going to be like this or I'm going to do things better or anything like that? And then how did that come into play when you and your wife had your first child as teenagers? Going back to what I saw growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to, you know, maybe even even you right the things that you didn't get right the absence of fatherhood right and then finally having that 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 sense of fathering early on i i learned my version of loving my learning my version of making friendships my version of of caring for my version of hating was completely different from other kids because of what i saw growing up with my dad now as i got older it did affect me that the whole trauma and the domestic violence that i witnessed growing up and i'm talking about like deep stuff i'm talking about like it's violent things. Um, I mean, gunshots, you know, people shooting each other. It was, it was not a good place to, for a child to live in. I would rake, I would wake up to sirens. It was, I was in East LA, I was in Highland Park at the time. It was like in between two turf wars between gangs at the time. I remember those things. I remember them vividly. It did affect me, my upbringing and the way that I visualized relationships and courtship and all these things, especially with with, when I started dating my Nancy, you know, and when we got together and I looking back at it, how easy it was for me to like want to leave and escape and start my own family. Right. And going back to not wanting to be like my dad was my biggest role model thought. It was like, I want to be like him, but I don't want to do the things he did. I don't want to be the person that he was. So he was like, ironically, also my my role model. And then becoming a father, right? And now I'm what, 35 years old. It's crazy. It all comes full circle. I now know why my dad started drinking. I now know what was his situation with abuse and 
I now understand his trauma and I, and I get it. I get it. It still doesn't justify the things that he did and the relationship that he, the lack of relationship he had with me and with other people. But it really taught me a lesson of where I shouldn't go. So going back to when I was a kid, right? He's still my role model. And I, I love my father and I've already mended things with him and we've, we've forgiven each other and I've forgiven him mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but the damage is done because of that stuff, because of the way he modeled for me, because of the way that I see, I saw these things. I, I saw these things growing up. I had to seek help in therapy. You know, it's all interconnected with the way that I even initially loved my kids and loved myself and even loved Nancy, not having boundaries, right. Not, 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 um, having self-awareness, not having value, right. Seeking value in other people because of what I didn't see growing up. And so, you know, if it's interesting cause we're talking about parenting, right. At the very beginning of this conversation, and it really comes down to, you know, you just told me something really important that stood out to me. It's like the way you see your, your, your biological father as a sperm donor. Right. And I've heard that phrase so many times in, in my work, in my line of work as a fatherhood case manager and working with moms and dads who have broken homes and have had not a chance to even meet their, meet their parents and how much of a big deal that is in our minds. And it makes me think about, Hey, I wonder how Jessica perceived males and, and, and men growing up, right? Because of the way that you had that absence and how that's interconnected with what I went through and the way that I saw women being treated in front of me. And so there's this connection of like, it really comes down, it boils down to parenting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's the first time I've even shared that on the podcast at all. And I'm very fortunate. My I was three, almost four when my parents got married. So I've grown up with a dad. But there was definitely still, as as I was growing up, there's still those things where you're just like, you always wonder like, why doesn't somebody want you? Even if you don't want them in your life, right? Because this person never made an effort, never whatever. And I still think that there's those things. I have since like, I've definitely come to terms with it. I don't ever think that anymore. I've since found out like the person who he was, I found a cousin on that side from 23andMe. And I think that was one of the best things because he told me, like, apparently there was rumors about me. Like, oh, I think he had a kid or something, but there was confirmation when I reached out to him because he never really knew. And then finding out the type of person he was, it was all, it was just, I think I had already dealt with that before because I was always like, eh, whatever, like I have a dad. I don't need anybody else in my life. But I think younger, it was definitely, you would have those moments or I would have those moments of, why doesn't this person want me? Like, why wouldn't this person want to be in my life? I think it definitely had an impact in regards to how I would see men, even though I have the most amazing dad. Like my dad is truly an amazing human being. And I love him with all of my heart. In fact, I never had they never officially changed my name to his last name. And as soon as I could use his name, like, but back then it's like a different, you know, back in the eighties, early eighties, it's like a totally different story where I was like, why don't I have the same last name? Because my last name is actually my mom's maiden name, my legal last name. And then I added my dad's name. And when I filed taxes for the first time, I used my dad's last name and they're like, we don't have anybody with the social security number. Well, I, he's my dad and I never wanted to lose his name. So I just kept it. I had to start using my legal last name and then just added, ensured that I kept his as well. Right. To make sure that my dad knew like he's still my dad. But at this point, even though I've never gone through the courts, even on my passport, I have both last names. Like I've maneuvered (laughs) figuring it out. It's basically legal in every way that I, that I've used his last name, but it definitely, I think you're right. It it affects how you see somebody affects relationships. It affects, it becomes like a subconscious thing, right? Where things that you didn't ever think because maybe you thought you dealt with it, you thought you whatever, but at the core, there's still like, why did this happen? Or I'm not going to do this or anything like that. 
You know, when you're a kid and you're thinking these things, they're, they're so vivid. They're like mm-hmm. living dreams. And you're constantly wondering why I didn't have my father with me. Right. And you're, and I don't want to harp on your story. Right. Cause I want to no, make no, sure no. that I'm mindful. This is about you, not me. But I definitely want to, I think you went through like the past couple of minutes of talking. I heard you say something very interesting. Um, and you and I went through, I, I saw your train of thought. Sounds like you've come to terms with it, but you're also in a way indirectly honoring him. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if you've had a chance to connect with him, right? And maybe find out why, right? I have why did desire he do it, to do right? that. But there's, it's interesting because you say you don't, but then I hear you say all these things you do to to still that allow that energy there with you to to be there with you. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm talking about that with you is because that's such a common thing with like absentee fathers, you know, we, we, and and I hear this all the time um, and I, I've experienced it, right? It's, it's connected to our traumas, right? Like, and the, how that is connected with how you love your, your partners and how you also even leave relationships. Like you have a sense of, uh, you know, abandonment issues. You have like separation anxiety, you know, where are you going? And there's like all these things that could happen just because of that indirect sense of neglect that you might've felt, right? Going back to like what I went through growing up with my dad, he was around at the time, but he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And he, and when he was there, he was, he's not, he wasn't all there. He was high or he was drunk and, or he was abusive. And, and then I had to figure out the same thing that you did. Why, why can't he love me the way that I want him to love me? Right. And that answer, I didn't get that answer until recently. Really? Yeah. I didn't get that answer until recently. He didn't even have to tell me. I I, I went to see him. Finally, I went to see him after a couple of years and I found out why I found out that my dad has been living all his life with his own pool of trauma and also his a very strong sense of anxiety. I mean, being him 16 years old, having a child, like, come on, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. giving up on his dreams to even cross the border to come over here to work. He's got some anxiety. He's got some trauma. He's, I know he has ADHD too. I know he does. I know he does. And so that, that was my, my why was finally answered. And it made much more sense. Now that I'm 35, I'm like, whoa, I could end up like that too if I make certain choices as well. And so it kind of brought more color into my life, like understanding, okay, myself more because of what footsteps were already in front of me, that that previous generation, my father. And so, I mean, I'm so sorry you went through that. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry you went through that. But it does sound like you have that father figure. You have that support system around you that you deserve, right? That we all deserve that, that was taken from you at your own, against your own will. And I think that's a, that's wonderful that you're here, right? That, that you're successful, that you're still able to breathe in that good feeling. Cause there's people out there, man, that are homeless and starving and they're, and they're struggling here mm-hmm. because they never got that answer. Well, this is not my therapy session, Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I just like, no, you know, no, no, I appreciate that. I, I just had to love like, that's my coping mechanism. I got to lighten things up <laughs> and things get real heavy. I'm like, all right, what can I say to, <laughs> but no, I appreciate that. And like I said, I definitely need to go back into therapy for other things, but I appreciate the fact that you've shared that because I think so many people have gone through that and they don't think of like, how is this affecting my current relationship? Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese men. Chances are you aren't sharing an epic dinner with your friends right now, but you could be. Just book a seat at a private dining event with your Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Then get to it. A multi-course menu, insane flavors, a wine pairing. Ooh, is that crispy duck? Experience more unforgettable dinners with private dining events from Sapphire Reserve. Chase, make more of what's yours. Learn more at chase.com slash Sapphire Reserve. Cards issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With the holidays quickly approaching, let's be real. Honestly, the holidays are here. But I am so grateful to be back in California con mi familia. If you didn't know, I lived out of state and away from my family for close to 15 years. So when I was able to come home and spend time with them, I cherished every moment. 
every bite of pozole, every bite of menudo, and of course, tamales. And although I'm not a big soda drinker, there is just something about Coca-Cola that pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together and the foods we enjoy as a family. The holidays are a magical time, and the holidays always finds a way to bring up memories and magic. So enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family, delicious food, and of course, an ice cold Coke. To me, home ownership is more independence, a little bit more control, a little bit more space. Like this is literally mine. Buying your first home is a big milestone, but it can also be overwhelming. I'm Nadeska Alexis, and I'm getting an insider's view into the home buying process on the new podcast, Beginner to Buyer. Tune in to get the tools and tips that'll help you buy your first home. Listen on wherever you get your podcasts and learn more by visiting beginnertobuyer.com. Your dad was 16 when he had you and you were also very young. How old were you? 16, 16. 15, 16. So you're the same age when your first baby was born. Hell yeah. Having friends who were teenage fathers, there were some that were like, oh yeah, I have a baby, but really never did anything. And then there were some that were like super involved and there were some that just like never claimed their, their baby or they're kind of in between. How was that feeling? Because you and Nancy were together and I do know Nancy and I wasn't sure if you wanted to say her name. So that's why I didn't say it at first. How was that when she came to you and she's like, guess what? I'm pregnant. What was your reaction and how, like, how did you handle, how was your experience? How did you handle being a teenage father? I was hella scared. I had to be scared now. I mean, but at the time it was like, I don't know, man, by that, at that time, by that level of things I've experienced in my life, I wasn't too shocked to be honest with you as, as I thought I was. Really? If anything, I was like, I got to start working. I got to start doing, you know, and it was all this stuff. When we, uh, when, when we found out we were pregnant at the time, it was a crazy, my mom tripped out. She cried. We both knew what we wanted. We were like, well, what are we going to do? We got to raise our child. Right. But we had friends of us telling us to adopt, to put it, put her up for adoption. They were like, somebody's question could be somebody's answer they would give me the most like and i'm over here like i don't know about that man i don't know about that and then her parents and her sisters she has like seven sisters they all said to her we went into her house and we had a meeting with everybody there and they're like you gotta get out of school you gotta start working i was like no i'm gonna keep going to school i have to right but we were both scared i remember leaving planned parenthood that's where we went to get the answer it was crazy man it's crazy. It was, it was insane. Um, I did compartmentalize a lot at the time to keep my face up, you know? Mm-hmm. It was intense. It was definitely intense. I felt my body grow up right away. I I I I I, I didn't I think I was scared, but I was hella determined. I didn't feel like I couldn't do it. For I can tell you for a fact, I never felt like I couldn't do it. I've never felt that way at all, even to this day. I know I can do it. But at the time, at that time, I was like shh. You know, we were kids having kids. Yeah. So that was interesting. Very interesting time. After your daughter was born, your oldest daughter was born. What type of, because I know that you and you and Nancy have had your ups and downs and time apart and all oh, of hell that. Yeah. So how was that like navigating at what point, I guess, kind of walk me through like how you guys parented and then how did you let your father, or did you understand like, how you were parenting your oldest daughter based on what had happened previously, because you had already said by that time you were aware of what you didn't want to be. So were you like super continually conscious of how that happened? And then when you and Nancy split up, how were you continuing to navigate fatherhood? Well, I had to keep going. And I think I was in survival mode the whole time. Being in survival mode forces me to keep going. And when we broke up, I was in college. So I was living in in housing at UC San Diego. So I didn't have anywhere to go, you know? And it was even harder because we were both undocumented too. So we were working side jobs like crazy. One thing we both agreed on is we always loved our kids. But looking back at it now, looking back at it now with what what I know now, what we both know now, Mm -hmm. we weren't 
good parents. Man, we were not good parents. We were reciprocating. We were we weren't really present as thought as we we did what we could at that age, like as much as we could at that age. I wish I would have had more support. I wish we would have had more support to either let go of the relationship that I was with her or heal it even better and faster because we went through a lot of pain together. My daughter witnessed all that. She did. She saw all that shit growing up. It wasn't something that I saw a different type of trauma. I mean, she still saw a lot of trauma, but it was a different type than what you witnessed. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, for, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I mean, I saw my mom being dragged on. I mean, saw I saw my stepmom being dragged in the grass. I saw punches. I saw bullets. I saw Mm -hmm. guns, you know, but with us, it was not like that. It was just a lot of arguing, but we never gave up on our kids. We always put them, we always figured it out, you know, but unfortunately we did put our daughter through a lot and and we both know that we both understand it and it sucks. It really sucks. But looking back at it, we both know we did our utmost best. We did a beyond what we could have done mm-hmm. for a 16, 17 year old, 18, 20, even all the way to all the way to 21. It was just and I think the reason why I say it was also hard is because when someone, especially with trauma, especially with like raising a child so young, you stop mentally growing up. I stopped mentally growing up. Certain aspects of my characteristics stopped. And one of those was a sense of maturity in relationships. So when Nancy and I broke up at the time, I didn't even know how to date. I was really bad at dating. So imagine modeling that to our kids Right. Yeah, because so, that's how they learn how to yeah. deal with relationships is by seeing yeah, their parents. But I, I want to also shed light, right? I want to make sure that I that I remind myself that we had really wonderful moments too, man. We had some deep ass situations, deep ass connections at the time. A lot of laughing, you know, a lot of smiling, a lot of a lot of, you know, let's make it work. It was like a novella, dude. <laughs> like it was like a novella. That's um, good and bad. <laughs> It, that's what I'm saying. It was like uh, like this. It was like Luz Clarita all over again. <laughs> now you're Mariela wishing you had wine, huh? <laughs> I'm over here like... Just with your eye wine. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let me take a sip of my wine. <laughs> so when you... Because what's the age difference between your oldest and your middle, Joe? My oldest is 17 and my middle is 13. So did you guys... Did you have your middle child before you guys broke up? Or after, or was it just like, it was just like this. Yeah. The up and down. Yeah. It was when, there was a lot of ups up and downs. One of the up moments. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have had her if you, no, yeah, yeah. Definitely one of the up moments. <laughs> Obviously it's not, I hope it's an up moment for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like non-negotiable right there. Yeah. So when the, when your middle child came, how, cause obviously it's an up moment. Then you have a down. How long have you and Nancy been married now? I think about five. So how did, do you think that your middle child helped you guys? Cause you have to solidify your parenting at some point. Maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't. Maybe you guys are just recently solidifying it after you, you know, before you had your youngest child. Cause there's a very big difference between your middle child and your youngest child navigating those ups and downs with one child, I would imagine can be even more complicated with two children. Did you guys just ever fully just take a break so you could find yourselves and figure out who you are before you were able to come back together? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we broke up after our middle child and then we were away from each other, dating other people for a couple of years, like six, seven years. We weren't even supposed to get back together, honestly, but we made it, we made a, we always had a good relationship while we were co-parenting. So it was a long break of maturity for both of us. Um, but I can tell you wholeheartedly, even that break, I experienced a lot of new relationships and so did she. And those relationships kind of beefed up my resume in relationships and how to better treat people and myself. And I took those good things that I learned from every relationship. And I know she did too, and and brought them back to her and she brought them back to me. But even to this day, I'm telling you right now, like even right now, there's so much still going on. There's so much learning still going on. We're just doing it in a more respectful and 
understanding way, you know, um, yeah. but that comes with, it does come with time. It does come I with mean, time. We should always continually be learning, right? Because if we're not, if you're not learning, you're dead. I, that's what I think, you know, you should always be learning. At what point, because you have a very robust content creation, you have a, your website, Reality Changers, you have your YouTube page that you now include, you know, sometimes you you include your kids in and Nancy in. What, at what point did you start creating? And at what point, like how has creating content, because you create a lot of content about fatherhood and what that means and how, have, how that's changed and how you relate to your kids. At what point did you start doing that? And how has that altered for a good or bad your relationship with your kids? It's similar to the relationships I've had in my life like this now. And this is something that I've become more aware of now as a, as a, as an older parent at the beginning, you know, it was my also, I think vlogging was also my coping mechanism too. It was my coping mechanism. I going back to and this is a very true thing. And I think this is the first time I discussed this is that I loved vlogging growing up. And I'm going to say the word I, I did. Mm -hmm. And my kids were young enough for me, for them to be okay with it. Right. Going back to not, not, not knowing boundaries myself and not even understand or being a, a, having access to that understanding. I just kind of did it. It was part of my lifestyle you know, storytelling. I love storytelling. I love documenting. It's always been something I've enjoyed. Even before I started vlogging, I have a whole terabyte of like pictures and videos of just my kids uh, recording them, sipping through their straw for the first time, walking for the first time, touching a flower for the first time, little things that I thought at the time were such a big deal. And I, and I don't know why I did that. Going back to my why, I did it because I didn't get that growing up mm -hmm. and I wanted to document it. Now, processing all that, right? And doing it for many, many years, it does take a psychological change to children, in my opinion. I think that especially when you have a camera in front of them, there's always a, a subtle, like subtle sense of performance you have to have, but it's also authentic, right? Like all the things I did, they were always real. They're just me who is who I want to be. It's who I am. But there's always a subtle amount of like, all right, you know, kind of stay, stay positive, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was an, that was an avatar, you know, some moments where I had to put on a mask because, and this is so funny because I think parents do this too. They sometimes they have to put a mask to keep it positive for their kids and think, keep in mind, I'm not going, I'm not in therapy at this time. I'm not taking medication at this time. I'm not self-medicating at this time. I'm not doing anything. It's just me, Jorge with anxiety and ADHD, raising kids with trauma, doing what I'm trying to do. And also keeping a relationship, holding a relationship with the mother of my children. So I didn't practice grace growing up. I didn't practice grace. I didn't practice rest. And so I, I taught my kids, we both taught our kids really good skills in public speaking. We taught them good skills in storytelling. And equally though, right? Equally, there's a lot of like not good moments that I that I think I could have done better. Now it's like, you know, and if you look at my channel, I've hella slowed down. I've slowed down on purpose because I started noticing the behavior of my children changing. And I wanted to respect their privacy even more because they're, they're teenagers. Teenagers need privacy. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why they need privacy, in my opinion, is because I noticed that they grow in a different direction if you allow them to kind of figure it out instead of, hey, you should be a singer. Hey, you should do this. Hey, you should do that. That's fine as a parent. But when we when I was finally, when I finally accepted that I, that I should kind of let them branch out like a tree, right? Branch out to different directions. They started blooming in a different, completely different way. And I didn't know that because growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have, it was like an indirect sense of control. Like you're like, it's like, cause we're all in survival mode mm -hmm. and we still are right. We still, especially after COVID, <laughs> but, but going going back to that is like, how do you, 
it's, it was a roller coaster, right? Roller coaster that is still going. And now I'm just choosing how high I want to go and choosing how low I want to go. And now I have more of an, an understanding how to maneuver the, the roller coaster itself for them. And not number one, not repeat history with like what my daughter, my father put us through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it still hasn't happened. So that's good. That's good. Right. So it's just like this constant 24 seven dad. I'm not even kidding. It's like 24 seven. I'm a dad. I'm thinking about what I got to do more than ever now and growing up, you know? Yeah. Is there ever the, the thought maybe lingering in the back of your head because your oldest daughter is about your and Nancy's age, right? When you guys had her. Yeah. Cause you know, that oftentimes repeats, right? It's become cyclical. And does that ever, does that thought ever in the back of your mind of like, how can I make sure that this is not repeated? Not that you wouldn't love her, not that you wouldn't love anything else that she created, but we are all trying to do better for her. I can't say our kids because I don't have kids, but every generation is, wants to, their children to do better. Did you ever have that thought? Those Are those things that you talk to your, you and Nancy talk to the kids about in regards to that and why? Or do you think that's something that they were just able to glob onto just based on your history? Honestly, that's a very interesting question because we have never had to talk about that like to them because I feel like Nancy and I have done a much better job in modeling to them a better relationship. When she turned 16, for example, we both talked about like, dang, this is uncharted territory because we both became parents. So how do you raise a child plus 16, 16 plus? What do we do? You know, Alexa's a very, very confident person. She's very determined. She doesn't like dating. She's she's really into anime and manga. She she has a lot of goals. So what I'm trying to say is we always kept them busy with goals, with things, and holding space for them. And I think that helped keep them from wanting to seek love somewhere else, right? Toxic mm-hmm. love, right? Trying to get pregnant or anywhere else but i feel really proud of that i feel really proud of that 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 at least at some level we were concerned but not not as much mm-hmm. not as much at all it's just we've never had to worry about that like it's almost like where you feel and not because of her but because of your guys's experience it was do you feel like you're almost like holding your breath until she got to you know like oh my god this is where we were at this age and then i'm sure you haven't for? fully exhaled yet right <laughs> Well, I know I can tell you what we held our breath for is mm-hmm. her sanity, making sure she feels happy, mm-hmm. that she feels that she loves herself, that she's not trying to kill herself, that she's not coming, trying to commit suicide. That's what we were more like, I hope she's okay. You know, I hope she, she knows where she's loved. Um, and that's the, that was more my concern as a parent failing in that situation. That would have been like, oh, man, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so far, so good, you know, but like any family, there's ups and downs, especially when they're teenagers and they're hormonal. Oh my God. Eliana <laughs> is the one, Alexa is the one that uh, we had some moments, right? Like any teenager. Mm-hmm. Eliana, though, my middle child is the one that's like, damn, we got to watch out for. She's complete opposite of Alexa. She's athletic. She's also very um, explosive, but she's not that bad. Like if I compared her to me, damn, she's an angel. Like the stuff that the stuff that I did when I was in high school, like running away from my house and getting into fights. I mean, it's a hard, it's an unfair comparison to her. Yeah. But for her, it was, yeah. I mean, we were very proud of our kids. That red flag, that um, that radar that we both have, it's always on. It's it's Mm -hmm. just a matter of like making sure that we're like, you know, just making sure they don't die. (laughs) You know, making sure that they eat well. It's, it's hard. I, I think it just really boils down to just how hard parenting can be. Yeah. You know? So obviously you and Nancy got back together. You're now married. You said you had a very good co-parenting relationship. At what point did you realize that this was not just a co-parenting relationship, that you wanted to give this another try? And now you have another child. And how old is he? He's four? Is he four now? Yeah, he's four. Ooh, see, I pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) And how is that? Because that's obviously a very big gap between your middle child and your youngest child. And how 
do you see your yours and Nancy's parenting change with yeah, not only being such a big age gap, but he's a boy as well. So you have two older girls and then you have a boy. And do you feel like the way you parent him just from your experience is different than how you parented your two older oh, girls? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. There's a huge difference. I mean, I mean, I'm gonna answer it like this. I now understand why the last child is the one that is considered the spoiled child. I now understand where that comes from mm-hmm. because, and, and I, I know, and I, I hear from my kids like, lo regañan? he's being bad right now. Right. Like my old, my Alexa and Eliana always tell me, why are we not disciplining him the way that we used to discipline them with Aaron being four, you know, and there's a huge gap in, in age, right? He's young. We've had a lot more sense of maturity in both of us. So our parenting approaches have been completely drastically changed. And uh, whenever we argue, we're like, we can't argue in front of the kids. We just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a good thing. Like, you should never argue in front of your kids. And if you are, minimize the damage because a lot of things can be said at the time. And I can tell you that we we said a lot of each, a lot of stuff at each other in front of the kids that should not have been said, you know? But with Aaron was like, we want to do it right. But it was it was less like, I want to do it right. More like, we got to do the right thing because we now know what it can cause if we don't go in the right direction. And we see it in our, in our oldest daughters. And, you know, certain things, I'm like, we, we taught her that. That's a bad habit we taught her. Eliana too, certain things they both do with their character, why, why they're grimp, why they're not. Certain things that I, we both know, we taught her that. Mm-hmm. So now we, we, we have this with this third child, right? And he's like, oh, we're just making sure, okay, a little more careful, but still very, obviously very organic. When things happen, things happen, you know, but I'm much more aware. Mm-hmm. Obviously you still have a lot of content on YouTube. You've, like you said, you've kind of rolled back on as much stuff as you do. Um, you also have this other job as a case manager. Um, do you hear a lot from, do you still hear a lot from other fathers in regards to when they find your channel or when they find your Instagram or when they read, like they watch your videos? Do you, first of all, do you hear a lot more from females or males? I would hope males, right? Because I feel like there's just not enough support among males in regards to this. I'm not a male, so I don't know. So you can uh, please keep me honest and tell me. And what kind of feedback do you get when you're sharing these things and when you're sharing your thoughts and when you're sharing the lessons that you've learned, right? Because the lessons you've learned have not been easy. And if people don't know where to go or or feel alone, I'm sure if they stumble upon your page or any other page, they feel like they're seen. So what kind of feedback or do you get from the people that do come across your page, whether it's male or female and and there's different types of feedback that I get. The majority of the feedback that I get comes from moms and women. Mm-hmm. I learned that the kind of relationship they might be having or have had with men in their lives. So moms, right? Now there's another level of feedback that I get from fathers where they're like, ah, man, someone's doing it. You know, someone's proud of this. Yeah, you know, it's not as much. It's mostly moms, mostly women. And then there's another level of feedback from the older parents, the, the the ones that have been through it, the seasoned parents, right? Who are always keeping me in check, you know? It's hard to describe the different type of feedback that I've received, but it's always positive. Again, I really do try to be myself in these videos and what I do. I don't like, I try not to fake the funk, man. It's hard. To, I don't like that. It's very uncomfortable. So I just try to stick to what I know, which is me. And sometimes the me is not the, not the positive, not, not, sometimes it's not positive. Sometimes it's like, I got to talk, I got to vent, you know, I've talked about my dad being an alcoholic in these videos. I've talked about seeing blood growing up when I was a kid, but I, I go from that to like vlogging at the park with my kids and having a blast at Chicano park. Like it, it's, there's no sense of direction with what I do. It's just, and then, and the feedback has no sense of direction as well. So I get these different populations of people, mostly moms from different places, some people are here for the music. Well, they used to, right? Because I was singing a lot more at the time. And then they were like, where are the music? And then like, I don't feel like it. I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to sing. Yeah. So I, I hope that answers your question. There's a lot of different types of feedback for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, 
in my head, I probably knew you were going to have more female feedback than male feedback, but I was really, honestly, I was really hoping that you were going to say, oh yeah, I get a ton of male feedback. I get a ton of father. Like it just, it kind of, I'm not going to lie. It kind of makes me sad, right? Because uh-huh. I feel like there's just no growing up, especially growing up Latino there, you know, there's still a lot of machismo out there in regards to not necessarily, or just that feeling of, I can't go anywhere. What's that going to make me look like if I can't handle my business or if I can't do this or that when it really should be, I see this person, they're going through the same things I'm at. Oh, wow. Like, and I do see it among like younger Latinos that taking advantage of going to therapy and and doing the work, right? Because they don't want to repeat the patterns that they saw. Same with Latinas. Like I have a lot of friends who are a little bit younger than me that have been going to therapy and everything. I've gone before. I, I, I think I do need to go again, but just the fact that growing up, so many of us were like, I don't be a baby. I, you're fine. I, you're this, I, you're that. And then it gets in our head that if we're looking for help, we're weak for looking for help. And sometimes just seeing somebody going through the same things can be such a relief. So that's why I was like really in my head, hoping that there were more men. I do know that. I do know that men do watch my videos. I do know that. They're not as engaging though. It could be a cultural thing. It could be a pride thing, you know? It could be a swipe thing, just kind of looking, you know? Not every man is going to go, hey, I'm proud of this moment. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And and I don't know if maybe women are more emotional and more connected to share, but in my circles here locally, like the people that I know, because I'm part of some circulos de hombres here in San Diego. We actually do sweat lodges together too as well. And... And these men are very open. They're very vulnerable. We talk about the heaviest stuff together. That That's where I receive the feedback that I want. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of feedback in my class too that I teach. But no, that, that's why they only see, they only know a version of you on social media. They only know me, the the vlogging Jorge. They only know how I edit my videos. So they I'm only allowing them to see who, who that Jorge is. There's this like Japanese proverb that says that every person wears three masks. The first mask is for the public. The second mask is for your family. And the first mask is for yourself. And so this is what I think I do. And what most people do, performers, bloggers, podcasters, they give out something that only for them, only for them, this this this, this mask for them. And the way, if you look back at the way I even edit my videos, I'm, you know, making sentimental, happy, you know, editing a certain way, like a, like a story. But that's also very uh it's it's orchestrated it's designed so so that way i can tell the story the way i want it to mm-hmm. doesn't mean i want it that doesn't mean that i i want it i, I want to convey depression or convey happiness it's what i want but the ones that know me know me the ones that know me locally the ones my friends my family you know they they're the ones that give me the real feedback you know i got a homie of mine who told me straight up he's like yeah we were a little worried about you bro i was like why it's like you know, we always had you, we always saw you. I carried my camera everywhere. I didn't give a shit. I was, I would vlog in front of people. I, I, I didn't, it was subconscious. I didn't think of it twice. I just did it because it was part of who I was, yeah. part of my identity. And my homie was like, yeah, we were worried about you. Cause you were, you know, just, and we noticed that you were in the circulo, you were, you hang out and you just walk away for a couple of minutes and just talk to yourself in front of the camera. And then if you, if you visualize yourself, right. When someone's taking a picture and then you see from the car outside someone taking a picture and they're kind of posing like this, you know, that you, yeah. you see the process, it's it's it can be awkward. It can be perceived awkward. Yeah. And here I am with my tripod. I sit down, you got a circle over there, I got a bunch of fathers, a bunch of people venting, just deconstructing, right? And I'm over here like, hey guys, so today I'm deconstructing, you know? And it, it robs you from being present. And so they both my friend accepted me as that way. He's like, this is Jorge. This is who he is, you know? It's part of who he is right now. Looking back at it, no, looking back at it though, I can tell you that it was more like therapy for myself. Remembering, documenting, never forgetting. And it's so funny now that I, t- I asked my friends and they're like, yeah, we, at the time it was weird. 
because nobody knew what it was. It was vlogging. It was like this person just sharing. It was so weird. It's still looking, it still looks weird to this day. But I was thankful for those feet. I was thankful for that type of feedback because it reminded me of how I was perceived with that outer mask versus who I really am. Right. You know? Well, one of those things that was captured during all of those things, I think it was Ariana who wanted to take a nap on the beach, right? Yeah. So right then and there. And that sound has blown up. First of all, the gift, there's like, she has a gif of that moment. And I actually used that gif before I even met you. I had used that gif. I take it. I take a nap here. Gif. Yeah. I take a nap here. Yeah. And that sound has blown and it still continues to be used. How did you yeah, that feel that meme is eternal? <laughs> and, and how does she feel being an eternal meme? That's a good question. At the time, she's like, I can't believe it, Dad. You know, um, she's come to terms with it. <laughs> she thinks it's funny, too. I mean, we've had people like Millie Bobby from Stranger Millie Things Bobby use it. Millie Bobby Brown. I've seen Demi Lovato use it in a documentary. I'm surprised we, I, I never approached it. I'm surprised we never monetized on it because people are telling us we should, we should at some point, but it's a thing. It's just a, a genuinely innocent moment, you know, of my daughter not wanting to go in the water because she was scared. So she made an excuse to take a nap. <laughs> well, you know what? Take a nap right there then. Okay. <laughs> it was a very innocent moment for a child, you know? Yeah but it's funny as hell and so relatable and I love it. There's another one she did where I asked her, do you like boys or do you like girls? And she's like, man, I like Netflix and birds. (laughs) I love that. So to this day, you know, it's been picara. She's, she's open. She doesn't get, she doesn't care. She says that's what she wants to say. She's a whole different person at, at home too, by the way. She's, at school, she's like this talkative, getting in trouble for talking too much. I'm like, really? She's still the same cabrona. I do what I want. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is what I'm telling you. She's a teenager. We oh, need she'll to get tell her you. on a BuzzFeed because you know how to say how I became a meme. We need to get her on there. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a good storyteller. Too. She has a good has a really good heart. Really good heart. What do you want to leave your kids with? Like, what is the thing that you hope that they take away once they're out of your house, once they're on their own? What's the thing you most want them to take away with them into the world? That they can let go whenever they want. They can set boundaries whenever they want. They can be and do whatever they want. And they are loved at all times. I think that is essential, in my opinion, because. Right now, the world is not in a good place. We have a serious thing going on, you know, in Ukraine and and so many other things that we don't even know what's happening. And I want her, I want them to have a good mind, a good, a good, solid, confident mind. And it's still in the works. We're still working on them. But that's what I want them to take, you know, that they, they were loved at all all times, you know? Mm -hmm. So I ask everybody what their why is, because I always am very curious of why they do what they do. And you said your why is believing you can do better and help spread the idea we can find the peace we deserve. So how do you do that? How do you do that for yourself? I think there's, you just have to make time for yourself. You know, Um, you have to be selfish. And that's my why is making moments, just being present. And I think that's, you know, I really want my my kids to learn, okay, this is what, I feel like, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but like growing up, you know, your parents tell you work hard, go to school, do your best, you know, all this shit that just keeps ingraining our minds to, okay, fine, you know, work hard, go to college, I'll do all these things. But none of us tell us to find peace. No one tells us that. No one tells us how to find it. We think it's in money. It can be used to find peace and money. You can can go to Fiji with money. You can go to vacation with money. But seeking peace, no matter what, like that's the, the concept of it, right? And what I mean by it is like, well, if you need to seek peace, find those places, right? So we find a park or a river or put your feet in the sand or pet your cat or play video games. Do it because 
it brings you that peace you deserve. Your mind doesn't always have to go 100 miles per hour. Like we were talking before we hit record, right? Oh, what happened? I said, I said what we were talking about before I hit the record button about our minds going like a thousand miles an hour and everything. Like yeah. That. And no, that, that's what I'm saying. Um, I have a really deep rooted reason why I said it like that. Because um, when I got, I got COVID at the beginning of the year, I got really, really, really sick. Okay. I'm not kidding. And I was in a room for five days and there's a lot going on in my mind at the time. I had not slowed down that much since I became a parent. Okay. My mind too. And I remember on the fourth or fifth day in those old time, Nancy was taking care of me, by the way, really well, her caregiver skills went in because she's a caregiver. She was, t- man, I was so, it may inspired me and the way she took her care of me. life. And she got COVID too at a, at a, at a result because of that. And she, cause she has lupus. So her immune system is compromised. So I, I sensed, I got a higher level of respect for her at the time. And at the time I had never slowed down my mind that much since I became a parent It motivated me to better myself It motivated me to get better It motivated me to quit things It motivated me to, to really take care of my shit. Cause man, and also figure out why do I have so much goddamn anxiety? So I started going to therapy. So I go to a chiropractor. I started going to psychiatrists within this month, within this, within since the beginning of January, I have a psychiatrist, a therapist, and a counselor, and I have a chiropractor and I have all these, I'm, I'm, I'm hell of exploiting my insurance right now, <laughs> like no other, you know, and I've never done that. And through that process, I got into medication and I, I was diagnosed with ADHD, PTSD, ADHD with anxious distress. Oh, wow. I was like, holy shit what? So it was a rude awakening. And I thought it was normal for me to be an overthinker. I thought it was normal to think the way I thought my mind does run a hundred miles per hour and nobody believes me. It's like, someone tells me the sky is blue. I find five different ways of what the sky is blue in my head like this. And it could be considered a strength, but dude, it's exhausting. So I started taking medication for the first time in my life. And Within 30 minutes of taking it, my brain was like, whoa, it was quiet. Just like the way it was quiet when I was, when I was just coming out of COVID and getting better and I was not stressed. And then I realized I need to handle my stress better. So my, my ADHD is um, spearheaded by anxiety. So the medicine that I'm taking is not for ADHD. I can't even take ADHD medicine because it's addicting to me. It's too, because of my past. So I'm taking, um, mood stabilizer just to understand how to control this. And it was completely life-changing within 30 minutes. It was like insane, insane. Um, And I wish I would have done it sooner. So what I'm trying to say with this is that I found some peace. (laughs) I found the peace that I've been wanting for a very long time. The peace that I've been preaching on social media, the peace that I've been preaching to, to my kids, the peace that I've always talked about. You be present, be present, be a good father. Be... But I never felt it myself. I never genuinely felt it on the inside because my mind was always running circles. And this is such a typical thing for people with ADHD. Yeah, that's great. I so mean, I found when you talk about peace, it's really peace in your mind because your demons will chase you anywhere, no matter where you're at locally. But if you're not finding peace in your mind, you can't find it anywhere else. Yeah. Yes. So in a way, what I'm really trying to say is teaching my kids to have a better relationship with themselves. Got it. I think that's, that's the biggest lesson there. But like every time you say something, I'm like, oh, I want to think that, oh, 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 I like five more questions pop into my head every time you say something. But I need to be mindful of your time because... You know, I'm a good friend. No, <laughs> no, because I know you, you know, you still have to go back up and take care of the kids and everything that you still need to be a dad. Where can people find your website, your YouTube, social media? How can they find you? And whether they, it's just to watch your videos, whether it's to comment, whether it's just to see what you're doing. They can find me on, on Instagram, reality changers, reality changers, and then on YouTube, on Facebook. I'm mostly active right now on Instagram. I haven't jumped over to TikTok. I mean, I'm not flojera. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't, but I don't do it as much as Instagram. And it is, ay, ay, ay. Yeah. It's very different. I mean, you know, you can, you can put the same 
content on TikTok and Instagram and one won't hit and one will blow up like crazy. It's just very interesting. I find it very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, well, mi gente, please follow Jorge and all of the things and reach out and comment and whatever. But more than anything, I hope that you can identify or you know a man who can identify and, you know, maybe you can send him to Jorge's page. But Jorge, thank you so much. Seriously, I knew when I reached out to you because I'd been wanting to talk to you for a while. I think we had talked about it before, but I knew when I reached out to you, I was like, oh, I want to have Jorge on because I know that you had slowed down, but you just have a lot of, every time I would watch your things, even though I'm not a parent, right? I'm a Thea that doesn't, you know, I still can relate in some way, but I just found it so like interesting. And I just think that you just have so much to impart. And I just wanted to be a little bit a part of that. I appreciate your time. And thank you for reconnecting as well. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And obviously when you were going through COVID, I was like, ah, I hope he's okay. And I was thinking of Nancy as well and just wanting to make sure that you guys were all right. So everybody make sure to check out Jorge at Reality Changers. And until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.